Well, first, I just want to say thank you to Adam Goley for sharing his testimony today. Um, Adam is among us as a community member and a student. He's also a pastor and um, brings the word of God to the people of God every single week um, and has encouraged me greatly. Thank you. Um, just over a week ago, my husband Jim and I celebrated our 14th anniversary as a married couple on March the 12th. And when we got married that March 14 years ago, Jim moved in with me into a parsonage where I already lived, at the church where I was already a pastor, and we tried to combine our lives and all our stuff together. Uh, we tried to move two sets of towels into the linen closet, two sets of cookware moved into the kitchen, and the rest of Jim's stuff that just didn't fit, we crammed into the garage. <laughs> this is the way of two households finding their way to become one. And later that year, I was reappointed to a different church on the other side of Houston. And so at the end of our first 10 months together as a married couple, we faced one of the most formative acts that any family can undertake together, house hunting. Now, house hunting is hard under the best of circumstances, but I was going to be serving at one of the wealthiest churches in one of the wealthiest areas of Houston, but we couldn't afford to live anywhere near it or near our parishioners. The housing prices were so high that anything even close to our price range was either way too tiny or way too in need of repair and renovation for us to even consider. And it seemed like we drove in endless circles in the back seat of an exhausted realtor's car as she tried to show us home after home that just wasn't it. We drove and said again and again, not it, not it, this is not it. Well, finally, we found an area across the freeway from our church. Really, not just the other side of the freeway, the other side of the tracks for us. It was not in an area where any of our church members lived, but it, it was there we happened upon a brand new neighborhood, new construction, houses going up literally day by day. Um, and while it wasn't close to the church where I served or close to where any of our church members lived, we could afford it. And the upside was that we would get to be the first people who ever lived in this house. Have you ever had that opportunity before? And after so many years of living in very lived-in dorms and then apartment rentals and then a parsonage that bore the marks of many pastors and their families before us, it felt really appealing to be the first people to inhabit a space. Clean, clear walls, no holes in the sheetrock, clean carpet, new appliances. Any dent or scratch would be one that we put there. Any stain would be one that we knew the history behind. And the yard was literally a clean slate. And by that, I mean that the builders just left it full of sand. <laughs> if we wanted to plant anything at all, we'd actually have to start by putting down dirt. And this clean slate became our home. And as the new house smell wore off, it became home for eight and a half years. It was filled with celebrations of our first anniversary 
and all of our first milestones together. It was filled with tears and prayers and longings for a family to grow and fill the bedrooms that we had anticipated having occupants. And then finally, after five years there, the upstairs office became a nursery, surrounded by green and brown elephants to welcome a new member of the household. And then two years later, it had to be repainted pink for another new member of the household. Uh, we did leave our mark on that house, including our share of dents and scratches. And I could tell you some stories about the stains left on the carpet. But also, we left a yard full of dirt and grass and trees that we planted. And the last time we went back, as is our ritual every time we're in Texas, the last time we drove by, the trees had grown even higher than the two-story house. That place that was once a blank slate, never before lived in, became a home full of memories. It wasn't that because of its excellent location. It wasn't because of its architecture. It was because of what was inside, because of the family that grew to fill it together. When God is in the market to raise a family, what kind of real estate does he go looking for? I love that Genesis begins with God putting a down payment on a neighborhood never before inhabited. This space is so clean with no previous owners that it's not just there's not a hole in the sheetrock, there's not even any footprints because no previous inhabitants even existed. It's like God's never before lived in brand new construction. And Eden, when we start to try to talk about what it might have been like, it, it's hard for us to find words. It seems an almost indescribable beauty. What we know of this beauty includes a river separating into four great rivers that flow to the four corners of the earth to nourish all of the land. We know that there's a wealth of plants and animals and then of course, the first human occupants created for companionship with God and with one another. And the pictures that we often have in our, our mind's eye of Eden are so glorious and so perfect, but the way that I read it on its page on Zillow or Realtor.com was that its greatest asset, what makes it truly pleasant, as it is called, what makes it home, is the presence of God himself. Think about it, all the perfection of Eden wouldn't be perfect at all if God was not present there. And God wanted the humans to share in his care for it, for this pleasant and perfect real estate. So he placed them in there with instructions to work and keep the garden, work and keep. Those were his words. He wanted them to work, to cultivate it, to make new things grow. And he wanted them to keep it, to guard its sanctity, to work and keep this place that they would live and walk in and connect together with God. No barriers between them and God or them and each other. To walk in the cool of the day with a God who dearly loved them and made this place so that he could have intimacy with those he loved most dearly. 
After eight and a half years in our first little home together, our young family began the task of house hunting again. We were comfortable in our church, comfortable in our community. We were comfortable in our growing little family, but somehow the house and the neighborhood were just really not the right fit for us anymore. We had saved up enough money to move into one of those neighborhoods closer to the church and to friends, to schools. And if you know much about the average tenure for pastors, it seems unusual that a pastor's family would look around after eight years and put down more roots or buy more property. But this was an unusual church, and they had given us every reason to expect that they wanted us to stay and to stay a lot longer. And so we climbed once again in the back of a realtor's car and began circling. And this time, we spotted it with ease our dream house. There it was, 44 Pine Path Place. It was located in the least posh neighborhood of one of the most posh areas of Houston. Just affordable, enough for us, just nice enough that we were moving up on that scale that somehow I thought it was important for us to climb to fit in with the neighbors. There was a big, bright entranceway, a playroom for all the kids' junk, and a huge yard with trees already growing up, taller than the house, shading it in all directions. And the week we closed on our dream house, we went and collected the keys we moved our boxes in and we began to unpack and I drove by my office at the church and saw the blinking light on my phone that told me I had a voicemail. It was Asbury Seminary. They were looking for someone to hire in the position of Dean of Chapel and my name had come to someone on the search committee. How had it come to them? In prayer of all ways. So we started the application process, and we wondered if we should even unpack. And we prayed a lot. And as I told God how comfortable we were, where we were, God asked me, whoever told you that your comfort was my goal? We closed on the sale of that dream house six months to the day after we bought it. I'll never forget the look on the realtor's face when we called her back, wondering what in the world was going on. I just sold you this house six months ago, and now you're selling it. Actually, we, we never grieved that house too much, maybe because we never had a chance to settle in, maybe because it wasn't as comfortable on the inside as we had dreamed it could be, Dream houses aren't always everything you've dreamed of, especially when God gives you a new dream. Sometimes God calls you to be on the move, and it doesn't always make sense to the realtor. God's first real estate plan for a home with his family didn't last too long. Just three chapters in, and the humans were evicted for violating their renter's agreement. And so much of the rest of God's story is about searching for the perfect home, 
looking for a place where God could live and settle down close with his family, about the desire to build a place that will be like a home for the intimacy that God desires with his children, no barriers, no flaws, just like that cozy Eden that he started with. At first, God's people were on the road a lot, and God traveled with them, leading in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, tabernacling with them in a kind of tent setup. Not ideal, but it had a kind of nomad chic look to it. And when God's deep desire to settle down with his people led them to their promised destination, a few generations later, a king named Solomon promised to build God a house. And so God began to roll out his blueprint. This house, although built with human hands, would be shaped by Yahweh's specifications. And let's just say these specifications were very, very specific. So specific, some of you are taking entire classes or are writing entire dissertations about the chapters and chapters detailing God's specs for the temple for its measurements, for its furnishings, for its materials, for the activities that would take place there. And and within that space, as it got closer and closer to the heart of the temple, the Holy of Holies, the place where God would move in and dwell among his people, the more precise these instructions seemed to get. Instructions about decor with trees, flowers, fruit to reflect the original home in Eden, with a curtain to mark the boundary of entrance to the Holy of Holies. This was supposed to be the perfect place for God to dwell among his people, so perfect that its measurements were exact. The same measurements in length, in width, and in height, the shape of a perfect cube. And the priests were called to minister with specifications too, with instructions as to how someone could enter this holy place, always with the goal of bringing about atonement, forgiveness, closeness between God and his people, and always with the instruction to the priests, these words, to serve and guard, to serve and guard. That's how it's translated. But those are the exact same words that were given to Adam. They're the exact same words translated work and keep. Here they're translated serve and guard for the priests in the temple, which makes me question, was Adam a priest in the garden? Or were the priests gardeners in the temple? Places where God's spirit lives are alive with growth, and all who tend them are God's gardeners. Five years ago this month, our family came to Wilmore on a house hunting trip. I had just accepted this position at Asbury, and we would be moving from Texas to Wilmore in June, only we needed a place to live when we got here. Um, We left our two-year-old back at home, but we brought with us our four-year-old son, Drew. We, We told ourselves it was for his benefit, so he could see the surroundings and where he'd be moving and to help him with the transition. But as usual, Drew came bringing his own opinions, his own expertise, his own unique checklist for the house that he was searching for. It had to have three things. Number one, a basement, something none of us had ever had growing up in Texas. Number two, a fireplace. And number three, a garden. 
So we showed up here in Wilmore, Jim and me and our four-year-old son, and we did what any normal person does. We found a realtor, and we thought this would be as difficult and as grueling and as long a search of house hunting we had just been through six months previous, only probably packed into just this one tiny weekend. Our realtor met us, drove us to the four houses for sale. It took just over an hour and told us that we had seen all the available real estate in our price range. <laughs> Welcome to Wilmore. None of those four houses looked right for us. So we went away discouraged, defeated. And we took a little detour by the seminary. We stopped in the student center and we ran into Peg Hutchins. For those of you who know Peg, most good things and almost all miracles in Wilmore can be traced back to Peg Hutchins. <laughs> oh, she said, I have these friends. They're not quite ready to put their house on the market, but they might let you look at it. So we drove up to this home that we hadn't seen previously, which immediately looked like something out of my childhood dreams about where happy families lived. Uh, we walked through the house trying not to let our mouths drop open because every detail seemed to be made just for us. Not because it was fancy, not because it was in a posh neighborhood, but because we could see our family at home and thriving there. And as we walked, Drew was checking off his checklist. There's the basement, he said. There's the fireplace. And when we got to the backyard, there it was, the garden. With his heart set on that place, he declared this as our new home, and he left the grown-ups to do the negotiating. <laughs> and five years later, I am still in awe that God prepared a place for us in Wilmore, Kentucky. The process of finding a home for us here seemed to have miracle after miracle paving the way, even if some of the miracles were so small that no one would notice because they were only meant to speak to the heart of a four-year-old boy. Miracles like a basement and a fireplace and a garden. A garden. I mean, that's where we were supposed to walk with God where we were supposed to find perfection and intimacy, but some of us are still wondering, will we ever get the chance? Where are we supposed to live with God now, with no garden, no temple? Some would say that we are a people perpetually circling in the realtor's car, that we don't belong on this earth, that we're simply waiting on the glorious home of the new Jerusalem as told us in Revelation with its tree of life for the healing of the nations with its rivers flowing outward to nurture and nourish with living water. It's so similar to Eden in so many ways and yet it has this familiar shape with the city's measurements very specifically lined out equal in width and height and depth the perfect cube. The New Jerusalem is shaped to remind us of the Holy of Holies, a place where everyone within can have intimacy with God, not just one priest, all people, not just one day of the year, all the time. 
But until we get to that real estate of the new Jerusalem, are we destined to wander, circle, be thirsty, wondering where we can find living water? I mean, here's the thing. Jesus didn't wait for us to find our way home. He brought home to us. Jesus became our tabernacle. He came and tented among us, bringing God's presence into our neighborhood, even on the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus became our living water. If you only knew, he said, the gift of God, you would ask, and I would give you living water. Jesus acted as our temple. To the horror of the religious leaders, he repeated over and over again, your sins are forgiven. Offering forgiveness that was only supposed to happen. Services you could only obtain from the temple. He declared himself to be our temple. The place of God's concentrated presence dwelling on earth. He even claimed that if you pulled that temple down, he could rebuild it in three days. And three days after his crucifixion and death, when people still couldn't make sense out of that statement in the fog of their grief, he appeared to the women in a garden and was mistaken for a gardener. Why was Eden a garden, a place alive with flora and fauna, with long walks and good conversation? Because God wanted a place to live and interact with his people on earth, and he wanted that place to be alive. What kind of real estate does God go looking for when he's longing for a place to settle down and be close to his family? He wants a place that is alive, a living temple not built out of stones, a place where he can have intimacy with no barriers. Where does God long to live? Do you not know? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I've heard that verse used so often to inflict shame as a kind of motivation. Are you treating your body like God's temple? We even do it to ourselves sometimes, as if we could be damaged goods that would make God think twice about moving in and having a renovation project in us. Do you not think, after hearing Adam's testimony today, that God won't take you as a vessel, any willing vessel, any body, any surrendered heart, and pour out living water through you to minister to and nurture the world. As Paul says elsewhere, we are, we are earthen vessels, jars of clay with treasures inside. Did you notice that the thing that made the temple special wasn't its decorations or its neighborhood, but the one who dwells in it? When God goes looking for real estate to have intimacy with his children, he looks no further than his children themselves. So will you cultivate and keep this garden that is you? Will you serve and guard this precious temple that is you? Will you offer a longing God, a heart and a home to settle down, no barriers, and have his way his own renovations, and make you a glorious space for new creation again. Let's pray. God, we, um, we're so grateful that you show up in our neighborhoods. We're so grateful that you don't wait for us to clean up and come to you. 
And we're so grateful that you long to live in intimacy with us, with us. Lord, we haven't done anything to deserve that. But you keep telling us and you keep knocking and you keep circling and asking to move in. And Lord, I believe probably everybody in this room has invited you. But today we want to invite you again. Sometimes we forget and lock the door. And sometimes we get thirsty even though there's living water right there. So Lord, come and knock again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.